Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Brad. Hey, it's James. We decided to start a podcast about subjects that spark conversations between us. We're not professionals and we don't claim to be, but we will look to get some guests on each week who can shed some light on these areas. Ultimately, we wanted to have an open conversation and hear the thoughts of everyone else about these subjects. And hopefully you guys can learn as we do. This is How Little We Know. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the next episode of How Little We Know. Now, normally at this point, my brummy bear brad would come in he's not here today uh it's quite a strange one for me i know i was joking last time about you know making mixing it up getting getting my own my own podcast with that brad but sadly today uh he's not with me he had some surgery on his ear and he's absolutely fine now uh he's he's back at home i just called him before this he's watching homeland he is good however he's unable to really listen to much or really have loud noises so coming into london to do the podcast was a no for him but he's at home he will be back soon Uh, But that's just kind of letting you know why he's not here. If you want to switch off now, that's absolutely fine. But I would say do not, because uh, the guest that we have this week is one of my favourites. We've been watching a lot of his TV shows over the past couple of months at home, even last night. Amazing. This is Ben Fogel. Hi, Ben. Morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm nervous. It's, are you, why are you nervous? Uh, m- multiple reasons. This is, this is the start of your, your own podcast <laughs> on your own. I think ma- mainly because Brad normally is here, where Joe is. But uh, secondly, uh, this is the most starstruck I've been in the podcast are so you? far, Ben. Yeah. The feeling's mutual, James. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for those listening at home, Ben Fogel, I don't even know where to begin. I, I did a bit of research. Um, I feel like we all know Ben in some way or another through what we've seen, but... The research was mesmerizing. The amount of titles and, and positions that you hold in various different charities and organizations is is literally too much to, to mention. Um, how would you summarize who you are kind of in a sentence for the listeners? Do you know, if, if I had to put like one word next to my name, I think it would just be storyteller. And that's in some ways really boring, isn't it? But if you, if, if and I'm sure we're going to get on some of the topics, there's so many different things I've done through my life and, and in the last 20 years working in the media that it is quite hard to put yeah. put my finger on one thing I love listen I love adventure yep. so I take on big adventures I love travel yep. um, I love journeys I love meeting people I love dogs I love animals yeah. uh, I, I'm passionate about the environment and I think when you pull all these together everything I've done all the shows mm-hmm. I've done over the years all the books I've written all the radio shows I've done Mm. they've all kind of had um, something to do with all of those different elements Mm. and and I just I do you know I I've always felt that life is a journey yeah it's not about that destination Mm -hmm. because unfortunately it's it's not particularly uh it's not something we we all kind of wish upon ourselves and uh, and and I've always wanted to make the most of my life and Mm. and I'm curious and I love meeting people that's why you know you you got in touch with me and and I, I was fascinated 
to learn more about you in, in oh. the same way, perhaps. We're going to switch this into Yeah, I think, you know, I'm going to switch it around you know, in the absence of Brad. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess the first place to start for me is I, I presume that you must have been to near enough every country in the world. Um, I mean, I, I've been watching The New Lives in the Wild, uh, well, for the past couple of series, and I watched the one last night where you kind of went back and met the chap that you first met five years later kind of thing on that on that series. So, I mean, where where did your first kind of realization for the love of the outdoors come from? Was it as soon as you were kind of walking? Were you in, in fields kind of messing around? How did that come about? Sort of. I mean, I grew up in central London, really yeah. central London. But my dad, who's Canadian, yeah. um, is also a vet, a veterinary mm. surgeon. So I grew up above his, his veterinary surgeon, surgery with a house full of animals. So mm. he'd never leave any of the dogs and cats and at that stage, because this was back in the sort of 70s and 80s, mm. people had iguanas and, you know, lots of exotic animals. Monkeys, so climbing monkeys, air, lions, yeah. you know, literally <laughs> people had everything. Yeah. Um, nothing would stay downstairs in the veterinary surgery. It would all come up into right. our part of the house. So it was a bit like Dr. Doolittle. There was yeah. just, there was parrots with bandaged wings hopping around and dogs mm. wearing those big Elizabethan collars. <laughs> yeah. So they won't nibble on uh, stitches that have been put in. So I kind of, I always had a love of nature. Mm. And then I'd spend all these amazing summers, really amazing summers out in Canada. I'm, right. I'm a massive fan of Canada. Mm. And I, I'd spend it um, in a little log cabin that my grandfather, my late grandfather, who lived to 100 years old, wow. um, had hand built on the lake himself. Wow. So it was these amazing summers of canoeing mm. and swimming and fishing and camping and yeah. bear watching. Uh, so, so I think that's probably where it really started. Mm. And then when I was 18, Failed all my exams right. um, uh, and didn't know what I was going to do. So mm. I just decided to head off to South America. It was wow. like this big, mysterious continent. Yeah. I didn't really know much about it. So I literally bought a one-way ticket. Wow. And two days later, I was on a boat on the Amazon. I hitchhiked uh, wow. for about <laughs> four weeks on a, on a boat all the way up the Amazon. And that was my epiphany. That was when I think I just realized somehow, in the, maybe in the same way that you, d yeah. you know, dedicated your life to music mm. at one point, there was, yeah, there was yeah, that yeah. single moment. Yeah. For me, sitting on that boat, unable to communicate with anyone because I didn't speak mm. any Portuguese, yeah, yeah. that was the moment where I just thought, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Wow. Somehow. I don't know how. I don't yeah, know how I can make yeah, yeah. a career from it, but this, yeah. I, I want travel and adventure. So do, do you have siblings? Mm. Did you grow up? So you, okay, so I, I was thinking then, I mean, if you, if the age of 18 you sort of had that, power and, and made that decision to go to South America on your own I presume that you may be quite independent from a young age but if you had siblings did, did they share that kind of strive for the outdoors or were you very much the one out of the the group that was like right I'm gonna go camping on my own or well I'm, I, I've got two sisters okay. so I, I was the only boy um, mm. I grew up in quite a female dominated house my mother was a very famous actress back yeah. in the 60s and 70s so mm -hmm. I had this kind of slightly crazy childhood in retrospect at the, mm. at the time it's perfectly normal but I spent you know, most of my days were in dressing rooms in various theatres right, or in the yeah. BBC and my mother being chased by paparazzi. And then the other moment I was out in Canada in the wild. Yeah. Um, and my sisters um, are far more sensible than me. Right, and, okay. and actually travel and adventure as I've embraced it, they, they uh, is definitely not in their world. They're, they're, they're both city dwellers, as is right. my mother. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if anything, it was trying to break that mould. Yeah. Maybe, maybe break out of the city, especially growing up in central London. Yeah. It was really, I could see Marble Arch in central London from my wow. bedroom window. Wow. Um, so Hyde Park was as close as I got when I was in yeah. the city. And I think it was about, I think it was about making a mark for myself because mm. uh, I, I was a hopeless failure. And I'm sure lots of your listeners will be going through 
yeah, GCSEs, well, yeah. A-levels, yeah, other course. exams. And I've been a keen advocate all my life of saying just because you fail your exams mm-hmm. does not mean that that is the end yeah. of, of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Far from it. I actually think those that fail their exams go on to achieve greater things because they mm-hmm. want to prove that yeah. exams should not be the benchmark of success. Mm. I think so much of life now is about um, marking your ability on music industry. Yeah, it's about 100%. how many albums have you sold? Yeah. It, on social media, how many followers have you got? On mm. podcasts, how many listeners have you got? That's kind of irrelevant. As mm. long as you're doing something well and yeah. you're passionate about it and you're good at it, that that in, in my mind is, is success. And I think suddenly traveling, I know it sounds a weird thing, but I did it well. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I was yeah, passionate yeah. about yeah, it. Yeah. And I'd come back. What That one year, by the way, turned into two years. <laughs> that Then, actually, I went on to do a degree, and I, I ended up yeah. studying out um, at, in Costa Rica and Central America. Yeah. And yeah. it became my world. So yeah. Latin America, this really exciting continent, um, uh, I became fluent in Spanish. Wow. And I, I thought probably at that stage that I'd work um, maybe for the United Nations, maybe yeah. UNICEF, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe for the UNHCR um, with refugees, I, somehow maybe in the humanitarian sector. Mm. And then all that changed, the big moment in my life when everything changed mm. um, was uh, shortly after I started working for a magazine in central London. And uh, I was looking out of the window just mm. wanting an opportunity to mm. explore. And I opened a newspaper and there was this advert saying wanted yeah. volunteers to be marooned for a whole yeah, year that's, that's my next on an island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I saw this. This is 1999. I mean, it's so long ago. I'm so old, James. <laughs> uh, and I saw this advert and I just thought, I want to be yeah. part of that. I want to be marooned on this island. Yeah. And that that moment that opportunity changed my whole life forever it was the bbc wanted it was the very first reality show ever it it was before big brother before britain's got talent x factor any of those shows none of them existed so the idea of taking people out of their normal zone and putting them in an artificial one Mm. didn't exist yeah yeah, but that's what the bbc did for 12 months Mm. they took 36 of us all ages Mm. the youngest was two years old the older with their family right yeah 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 Uh, that would be quite that (laughs) that would be quite something um and we we were plonked on this island off the western isles of scotland it was called taronsay treeless windy cold sounds like your dream oh do you know what it was the best year (laughs) of my life i I like i think back on that year almost every day because it it I fell in love with that island. I Mm. still think I've traveled, I think I counted the other day to about 270 countries and islands and dependencies. And I still think the Western Isles of Scotland is the most beautiful place on earth. Mm. It's, it's, it it makes you want to cry. It's so beautiful, (laughs) but it's cold and there's midges and there's a reason why not everyone lives there. Yeah. But I spent a whole year there and I loved it. We were fully self-sufficient. So we had to, rear our own animals kill our own animals Mm. we grew our own crops we um built a school taught the kids wow and what's more there weren't reality tv's changed a lot now Mm. it's you know fixed rig cameras around tv crews it's very slick Mm. and what's more a lot of people who go on not wanting to be rude about them but a lot of people who go on reality shows now are probably going because they want fame and fortune they they kind of want to stand out but back then 19 years ago Mm. we we, we just went because we wanted to yeah have fun really so yeah. it meant that it was quite a naive innocent project we mm. filmed it ourselves oh, you know, really? we had our own cameras oh, okay. we were genuinely that's really it, cool. it was all kind of it was like it was like a home movie really yeah yeah and it was really hard intense yeah. 
lots of big characters yeah. um but i loved every minute of it so i mean you you said that you spent a couple of years in south america prior to that were you the most equipped person out of those 36 or whatever it was um on that tv show had you learned so many kind of skills that you kind of came on and you an automatic leader out of that group or? i don't think i was a leader but i think i was often described and i probably i i, I was I was often the kind of the diplomat. I, yeah. I was often the the one that tried to resolve the the battles. So there were people. there were kind of battles internally. Oh, understand. There was a lot of arguments. Really? But, you know, we didn't have. We made a conscious decision to not have a leader. And, right. and part of the project was to see how this community came together because it's a fascinating thing. What what yeah. happens when you? It's, it's kind of. I always thought it was actually misnamed. It was called Castaway. Yeah, it should Castaway, have been. Yeah. It should have been called like the community or the yeah. commune because that's kind of what it was really. It was a commune, and uh, and we decided specifically to not have a leader, and that made a big problem actually because it meant if you've ever sat in a room where there's 36 people that have to make a single decision, yeah, it's yeah, impossible. Yeah. And everyone's you can talk, like, yeah, that's you talk right, in yeah. circles. <laughs> you twist. It goes around yeah, in circles. Yeah, yeah. So there were some big arguments, and I did. I kind of. I did step in quite a lot to try and resolve those. Mm. And I think I probably was quite well equipped. I kind of, you can probably hear from my accent, I, I kind of, I'm a bit posh. <laughs> I was very lucky, but my, my parents sent me to a boarding school. Yeah. Um, and I think actually boarding school equipped me pretty well because I lived away from home for quite yeah. a long time. And you have to be self-sufficient. You have mm. to be confident in yourself. And actually confidence is quite a big, word in my life as well because i didn't have any confidence right, until that okay. point i was mm. really i was one of those really really shy mm. people everyone was better than right. me at everything yeah. and uh, and actually my confidence grew on that island because mm. i felt a I, I felt more comfortable probably in those surroundings even though i'd never lived on an mm. island in scotland before but i'd lived away from home having to make my own um decisions mm. a lot more than many of the other people especially the younger ones on yeah I, I think for me like um kind of to compare it like we i went on tour from the age of 18 i didn't go to uni because mm -hmm. i started the band in my a levels i did my a levels but then we kind of went and our bass player was 15 when the band started so he missed that crucial stage of of his life but i think what's similar between us is like we used i guess the world to to teach us those important teenage years and kind of learn who we are quicker in some ways than other than than our peers that have gone to uni but like also we, we missed out on that side of things um do you but going back i think because I, uh, I i think that's really fascinating and it's something that we probably mm. do both share we've got very different worlds in which we inhabit yeah. in many ways but just the travel is something that you you, you have traveled more than almost anyone of your age mm. but through the nature of all your touring and things and it gives you i i firmly believe i know when this is an apolitical show we're not even going to get in the political area mm. but if individuals like trump mm. traveled a little bit more and spent time out of their yeah. own country they'd have a very different political approach to the world because you yeah. become i think travel it, it, it's a cliche isn't it but it's true it opens your mind it does yeah. as, as you travel you realize how lucky we all are mm. in this country irrelevant of your yeah, yeah, social yeah, yeah. status yeah we've got the nhs it may be bashed a lot but it's an unbelievable service that most countries would do anything mm. to have we've got an amazing education system yeah. i bash our education system but compared to yeah. ethiopia haiti other countries i've been yeah. to we're incredibly lucky and i think that's what travel does and yeah. I also firmly believe that, like, if I, if I had my way with my, I've got two kids now, mm. age six and eight, mm. I would take them out of school and just try. I, I would be happy to um, uh, to to forfeit their formal education here right. for travel. Yeah. Uh, it's a controversial thing, but I think I believe they would learn more. I think you do more yeah. of life skills. Of course, we all need to know how to spell and to yeah. 
add and to read but those are things you can kind of pick up along the way i think it's those life skills communicating looking we're yeah. looking in each other's eyes now yeah. do you know how many people can't make eye contact no, with people because yeah. they haven't learned that simple thing and I, I think there's so much you learn from other people and i always feel i feel really humbled whenever i travel wherever mm. i travel because i feel i'm learning way more from other cultures other yeah. people and individuals than um, I would learn anywhere else. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in, in Dorset, and I know you went to, to Bryanston, mm. didn't you? So not, not too far from where I grew up. And I moved to London 18 months ago. And even in that 18 months, being kind of around other cultures, other other people, everything, really helped me because I was very underconfident before the band. And it was quite a strange step for me to go from being a bit sort of, I guess, reclusive to then stepping on stage. Like, it literally happened in like six months, and mm -hmm. I, it, it changed my life. Um, and you know there's 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 some similarities there because the bizarre thing about this island experience yeah. is we went away anonymously no yeah. one knew who we were i waved my parents goodbye at victoria bus station we all boarded <laughs> a big bus to drive up to scotland yeah, yeah. and we came back in a helicopter to hundreds of paparazzi so was it so it's kind of weird going you know literally going away for a year to yeah. this remote island suddenly being back in london and then you're famous. And, and you're famous and, <laughs> and it happened in my mind overnight i mean it was yeah. it took a year to happen because yeah. the shows were being <laughs> broadcast while we were on that island but it, I found that quite a, even though I grew up with my mother being famous so mm. it, it wasn't that strange for me to lose your anonymity I think a lot of you know as you'll know it's it's a strange thing I know a lot of people aspire to it yeah but it's it's but not it's strange, necessarily it? listen of course we have many benefits when you when when mm. you're famous there's loads of things I get to meet you I get to come <laughs> on podcast <laughs> do you see what I mean there's all sorts of great things that we benefit from but actually losing your anonymity is not something to take lightly no I'd always say no definitely if you are enjoying this podcast so far please send us a tweet to at how little we know we try to read out tweets every episode and we will do so next time so when when you first kind of came back I presume, well, you said before you went to on, on the TV show, you weren't really sure necessarily what you wanted to do in life. How, what happened as soon as you got back? Did, did your kind of journey sort of solidify? Were there, did loads of people approach you and say, I want you to do this, I want you to do that? Did it literally change like that and your career kind of was forming before you knew it? It was, but you do know what happened. So I came back to London and, and it, it was a whirlwind. You know, mm. we went straight off to Hollywood because the show was showing out there. We, wow. you know, I suddenly. It, it was like a whirlwind of, I suppose, what we call fame, which mm. was really fun, but yeah. kind of slightly overwhelming as well. And all, loads of opportunities came mm. my way. And I think I was very lucky that I had some quite good advice around me. Yeah. And and I just that, that the big decision I had to make was whether I wanted 15 minutes or 15 years. Yeah, exactly. And I made a decision that if I was going to put the effort in, I might as well go for the 15 years. Yeah. So I kind of, it then became, it, it wasn't a game plan in any sense, but I, I think I was quite sensible about mm. starting presenting with some, some simple, nice, humble yeah. shows, crafts, yeah. one man and his dog, Animal Park down at Longleat um, with Kate Humble, Country Fire with John Craven. Really nice. Yeah. I, I loved them. It was really yeah. great. It gave me a, a really good... Um, experience of this country. I love the British Isles. Yeah, I, I yeah, love our country, mm. and uh, and I spent nearly ten years doing that. Mm. But I think it was after about six or seven years of of doing those those shows that I decided to try and change gear mm. and move up a little bit. Yeah. And that's when I kind of started on the slightly more ambitious, adventurous mm. um, shows. 
and uh, and and it started with I, I'd never been very sporty. Yeah, I'd never done any sport in my life at all. Mm. Never run. Never done anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then overnight, I just decided that I would I would take part in the toughest foot race on earth, <laughs> uh, as you do. Of it's course. it's um it's called the Marathon des Sables, and it's a hundred and eighty miles. Yeah, I, I read about back this. to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. most painful experience <laughs> of my life. I I, I mean, I, I almost want to cry thinking back because you lose all the skin on your feet. Yeah. Just comes imagine. off. It just comes off. It's it, it, every every stride you take is like walking in with shards of glass in in your shoes. But do you know what's really weird, James? Is that despite all that, mm. it turned into a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Now you're going to think I'm like, taking something now, but I'm, <laughs> I. It's a really weird thing to explain, but it becomes really beautiful mm. when it, through the suffering. Yeah. You experience a landscape on a totally different mm. level. And we were out in the Sahara, just on the border wow. of Morocco and, and Algeria. 700 people from all over the world. Mm. So there's lots of language barriers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you're all in it together. So there's this amazing camaraderie. It's, 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 it's quite hypnotic. Mm. And I finished that race and it was like one of the proudest achievements how long ever. did that how long was that well it's, you do it over six like, days six so days six, six, it was basically a marathon a day for six days wow. and you'd never had any experience no, in nothing a, I'd a never even literally I had never even run 100 meters what was the training like for, as in did you train for, obviously you must have trained before what was kind of like the the journey up to that point so here's a little anecdote that probably sums it up yeah. I, I signed up to a local gym after right. I'd, I'd agreed to do this race uh, about six months ahead of time, which is not very month, no, long not to train. Sort of thing, yeah. And I called them up and said, "Can I, you know, can I take part in it?" And they said, um, "I'm afraid there's a bit of a waiting list. There's a thousand people." So I wow. thought, "Okay, I'm not going to be doing it." Yeah. And then just eight weeks before the race, oh, no. I, they called up and said, "Congratulations!" <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so I had so I had two months to do it, and I remember going to my local gym and signing up for membership because I, yeah. I didn't even belong to a gym. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I told the fitness instructor what, what I was doing, and, and he actually refused to train me because he thought I might. <laughs> might die and the fa- my family might sue him so at my you know what my training i just did what i've done my whole life multitasking mm. um and i fitted it around my day job yeah. so i was at the time i was filming down at longleat safari park yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so i'd get up at four o'clock in the morning we, we started filming quite early we'd start filming at about seven thirty in the morning mm. so i get up at four yeah. and i'd just run around the safari park, around the line enclosure, the outside of the line enclosure, not the inside, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, and I just trained myself, really. It's kind yeah. of what I've done ever since. All the big challenges I've done ever since, I've self-trained and self-taught. Mm. I've never really had, for better or for worse, I'm not saying everyone should do this, by the way. I think, mm. I think having people that are very knowledgeable can, can help you, but I've, I've always had to multitask, which means training wherever I am in the world. Mm. I've th- <laughs> that, that's a great kind of, Thing to just just put out there i think to, to the guys listening at home it's it's clear that you've got a lot of self-motivation and i think a lot of people they, they tweet us all the time saying you know how can i do this i'm not sure what to do and i think you're a great example of someone that that kind of makes their own kind of achievement in that in that area is that always i mean obviously it must have been always something for you growing up to kind of do it like that castaway show is a, a prime example of that was I like most people would not go on that because that's mm-hmm. putting themselves out there. You said you were very mm-hmm. underconfident. Do you mm-hmm. feel that you have to step outside of your comfort mm-hmm. zone to, to do stuff and achieve? 
there's always an excuse to not do something. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a girl or a boy you really fancy. There's always an excuse to not go up yeah. and ask them out. There's um, a job interview you want to go for. You、mm. always think there's going to be someone better than you.、Yeah. Human nature, I think, is to always try to talk yourself down. Yeah, you、definitely. have that little devil on your shoulder. I'm sure you've had it on the yeah, stage. 100%, yeah, 100. I still get it now, occasionally when I'm doing live TV and things. You、yeah. get the the little person on your shoulder telling you that you're going to forget your lines. Yeah, you're not、yeah. that, that you're hopeless and things. Yeah. And the key is trying to get rid of them and to、yeah. drown the noise out. And I've always, well, those early childhood kind of. Um, uh, that lack of self-esteem, which、yeah. came from failing everything. Listen, I took my、yeah. driving test seven times、mm. because every time I was in the car and I had the driving instructor in in Dorchester, so probably、right. not far from yeah, uh, yeah, from, yeah. from where、not、you grew up.、Um, every time I got in the car with the driving instructor, I just fell apart. I、mm. just I couldn't remember which was the accelerator. I、yeah. remember the first time I got in for my driving test,、yeah. I mistook the brake for <laughs> the, the accelerator. Can you imagine that? <laughs>、yeah. But that's that's how my that that's. How I that's why I failed all my exams. That's、yeah. why I got chucked out of so many schools because I just、mm. I wasn't very good at focusing,、mm. and I didn't believe in myself. And I think my approach to life ever since, which is culminating in about two months, in fact,、mm. with with an attempt to climb Mount Everest,、yeah. is to always take myself out of my comfort zone because、mm. I live a really comfortable life now. I'm I'm so lucky. I've got a beautiful family. I love my job.、Mm. It would be very easy for me to just kind of lock myself in my house and just、mm. um, eat. Chocolate bars all day. Yeah, yeah. But but what I do is I confront my fears and I, two fears that I'll be confronting with an attempted climb of Mount Everest, for example, is I genuinely have a fear of heights. Yeah.、And、I think it's it's important that you confront those, and I have a huge fear of failure,、mm. probably because of all those early yeah, failures yeah, yeah. that I had. Yeah, yeah. And it would be very easy to only ever do things that I knew I was going to succeed at. And、mm. if you look, there's plenty of characters that I know that still do that. Yeah. They will. They will take the absolutely secure option. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. A, a lot of people, perhaps it's quite sensible, depending on where you are in life. But、mm. I've always, I've always felt that the only way you can really appreciate what you have、mm. in life is to take yourself out of it and、yeah. look back on it. Yeah. And, and whenever you're suffering, and suffering comes in many different forms. Sometimes suffering is,、um, uh, it, it's unwanted.、Yeah. You, you lose. You have a bereavement. You lose someone you love. You suffer from an illness. Sometimes it's self-imposed. Running across the Sahara Desert,、yeah. rowing across the Atlantic. You know some of the different things I've had. And I think you arm yourself. It's like you build up an armor.、Mm-hmm. The, the more of these things you do, and I think one of the reasons that Everest really appeals to me is because I, I need. To to rebuild that armor. It's nothing tougher、bit. than that, is it? That's kind of the goal. Yeah, well, it's kind of. I think you say that, but for some people, it's a walk in the park. Let's be honest.、Really? There are, yeah, there are some people who, it's their familiar environment. They've、mm. been up many times, and th- there is no fear of that. For other people, like me, that's it's a it's a big challenge,、mm. and、uh, and I think life life is too short to ever finish your challenges. A few、yeah. people are kind of surprised that why a father of two kids would take on a, a potentially Um, well, not even a potentially a dangerous mountain.、Mm. Many people perish. It's <clears throat> it's the sad reality of it. And I think one of the reasons is because I like to. You know, it comes back to how would I describe myself? I,、yeah. I'd like to describe myself as a storyteller. And the reason I I like to describe myself as a storyteller is because by telling stories like we're、mm. doing today, yeah, yeah. I'd like to think we're inspiring. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure we will be. And <laughs> and I want to inspire my kids and their friends and other、mm. people to. Follow your dreams because I think dreams are so easily squashed. We live in、yeah. such a cynical society yeah, yeah. now; it's 
it's quite an angry world that we live in now. Mm. You only need to to dip into social media and you'll mm. see everything, even even thing very simple mundane things um, or even happy things, mm. turn controversial yeah. um, in in different people's eyes. And I, th- I I like to have a positive attitude and a positive stance on mm. things. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, then please make sure that you go onto the Entel website because all of our other content is on there. We've got, well, this is our sixth episode, so there's five other episodes for you to check out. Also, it really, really does help us if you like, share, rate, all that good stuff on the the podcast app slash store because when you rate it and, and share it and stuff, then we go higher on the charts, which is amazing, and we're getting more listeners with every week. Massive thank you. I think we're up to 250,000 downloads almost which is absolutely incredible i can't even kind of fathom that number so please keep doing that good stuff and let's get back to the podcast well yeah i, I just want to quickly speak I was, i've got a section here rowing the atlantic yeah. just because when i i wikipedia do which i don't normally like using wikipedia but i thought i'll just see what it has to say and uh, i had no idea that you'd rowed the atlantic mm. um and i just kind of wanted to to ask i mean you, you did it with uh, james cracknell didn't you and and i've, I've met him a couple of times and know his, his wife quite well and um i just i find that 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 relationship relationship that you have with him i find that really interesting so like how how did you meet because it didn't say anything about mm. that how did that come about that connection to him Jay, i mean that was an amazing story because I, mm. I i just finished that um that desert marathon multi-marathon yeah, yeah. and and i was looking for something else that i could surprise people with and really test myself with mm. and, and i've found out that there was this rowing race across yeah. the Atlantic. So to put that into perspective, that's three and a half thousand miles yeah. in a little rowing boat that's but like 20 feet long. It takes about five long. hours to fly it, doesn't it? So. <laughs> it longer than that even, yeah. In fact, I was, just, I was in Antigua, which was the finish point at the weekend, and it took eight and a half hours to fly it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's quite a long distance. Yeah. And uh, and I signed up for this race without having a rowing partner. <laughs> that seems and, uh, and I was at a party in London, uh, I, literally at a party, and I spotted across the room James Cracknell. Yeah. He he had just won his second gold Olympic medal in rowing, and my mm-hmm. first thought was, "There's a bloke <laughs> who knows how to row." So I seized the moment. And it comes back to what wow. we've just been yeah. saying. I, I just I, I I hid away my lack of confidence, mm. and I just bounded up to him and I said, "James, would you like to row the Atlantic?" And he's much taller than me. I'm six foot, by the way, but he's yeah. he's he's a, he's significantly yeah, he's taller. Big, isn't he? And he looked down at me. He said, "Can you row?" And I went, "Nope, never rowed before." <laughs> And, and we kind of we 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 were a really odd couple. Yeah. He's a really great friend of mine. He's godfather mm. to my son. He's become a really good friend, and we've done a lot of things since. But um, what was fascinating about that row is that we were very ill-equipped in right. in hindsight. Yeah. You know, we did all the the kind of the the tick the box ticking we'd done. So we became ocean yacht masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had to do sea survival. Learn how to put fillings into each other's teeth because we were on our own. Yeah, learn yeah. how to fix broken bones. Fifty days, wasn't it? It was fifty days. So fifty days. Just you two for that whole time, or and it? imagine just the two of us for the whole time. And wow. and we did a, a rowing routine of two hours on, two hours off. Mm. Two hours on, two hours off. Twenty-four hours a day, right. seven days a week. So one of us was always rowing, yeah. and for that two hours when you weren't rowing, you weren't sleeping. You were you were doing maintenance. You yeah. were eating. You were fixing things, mm-hmm. doing communication. So you only ever grabbed about forty minutes sleep. So sleep deprivation became a massive thing. Mm-hmm. And the big the, the big problem we had is that we both had two different goals. Believe it right, or not. Right. Okay. Um, James was there um, to compete, and I was there to complete. So it was a race, was it? Right. It was a race, people. but he wanted to come first, whereas right. I just wanted to row the Atlantic. Yeah, it didn't yeah, bother yeah, me. Yeah. So we had some pretty big rows. Just go around in circles. If he's but it was faster. amazing. But <laughs> it, what I can't, I can't honestly look you in the eye and say it was an amazing experience because it was 
pretty miserable. It right. was, you know, it was, I was homesick. I was yeah. um, scared. Um, well, you capsized, it was uncomfortable. Didn't you? We, so. ca- we capsized about 2,000 miles from land. No, no one else around. I, I thought that, I mean, I, I thought yeah. that I was off up there. I, cu- I couldn't see a way out of that. But, but also, because I, th- I think it's important to look at the, the amazing moments. Mm. Th- th- there was one moment when uh, we were in the middle of the Atlantic, thousands mm. of feet of ocean below us, and the boat lifted out of the water mm. in the middle of the night, literally lifted <laughs> out of the water. And it was a whale that had actually come up underneath us to scratch itself wow. and had lifted the whole boat out of the water. And that whale actually followed us for about three or four days. And it wasn't scary. I know a lot of, wow, a lot of yeah. people's first instinct That's was, right. you must have been terrified, but it wasn't. It was a thing of beauty. And I think it was it was a real connection with nature and the beauty of that row. And I think why I've kind of gone back time and time again to Antarctica yeah. and, and to all of these really quite remote and hostile places is because you have a real connection mm. to the landscape and, and wildlife around you. And it's probably one of the reasons I've become quite passionate about the environment, not in a boring, hectoring kind of way, mm. but just I've seen firsthand yeah. um, the beauty and what we stand to lose. I've also seen or, or what we've already done to it. Mm. But I think that it's that connection that so many people don't necessarily have. Yeah. You know, we, you, you're incredibly lucky, James, that you get to go to places like Argentina and Uruguay and Brazil, mm. and, and you'll get obviously often you'll see the cities and, you, yeah, and you'll yeah, see yeah. the big urban areas, mm. but you'll have little glimpses at least of those beautiful. Yeah. Uh, wilderness areas and and that's something that I spend almost half my year inhabiting Mm. and um, the world is just such a beautiful place I kind of wish everyone had the same opportunities Mm. for me because I think if they if they really understood just how beautiful uh, the the mountains the oceans the deserts the jungles were they probably wouldn't disrespect the planet as much as we do I I think that's a massive thing disassociation is something I mean I I think I think we're all sort of guilty uh, of it to an extent. I think people that don't get to travel that much, say people that live in London, they, you know, they, they like their single-use plastic and, you know, pollution's this word that they're like, oh, it's pollution, but I love my V6 car or, you know, or I, I don't recycle. And I think it's very easy to get into that mindset of just like, yeah, well, I'm not going to make a difference. Mm. It's just something that, yeah, we should do, but I'm only here for another, whatever, 60 years. Like, that's fine. Um, and I, I watched a documentary, um, A Plastic Ocean, um, and that was, was it eight years ago now? Mm. Uh, so does it frustrate you that it's taken this long for the government and public to kind of catch on a little bit? Because that documentary was all about plastic in the ocean, and, and I feel like now it's really kind of being discussed. Mm. For you, is it frustrating, or are you just happy that it's kind of transitioning no, ha- slowly? I, do you know what I'm happy... I'm I'm just happy that it's kind of out there and people mm. are addressing it. I kind of realise you're completely right. People have it's very difficult for humans to see beyond their generation, yeah. and and we, we've created a very comfortable life for ourselves, haven't we? And mm. I'm like the next, but I, I love my Land Rovers. Yeah. I kind of you know, I, I, so I'm not. I I don't have a halo, a green halo over my head. I'm not. The most perfect green person, and and I'm the first one to admit that. Mm. Imagine my carbon footprint from flying. I tried yeah. to offset those flights, but but I also think that we all have a responsibility to do something yeah. to give back. And and the plastics thing is something I've really campaigned for yeah. years and years. Yeah. Like you say, going all the way back to to that documentary. And uh, I think it's actually just relief that now everyone's 
focusing on it. And I think one of the reasons why everyone's focusing on this issue, because there's many others, and I'm not mm. going to bore your listeners now with all of those things. Um, but the reason why the plastics has become so pertinent, why everyone's talking about it is because there's a, a solution. Yeah. And, and people don't feel like um, uh, it, it's something that they're um, incapable mm. of, of finding a solution to. Mm. All it, we, we just need to stop the production of plastics as we're doing now we need to do more recycling we need to think about um uh, repackaging things and clear up the ocean it's actually mm. doable that there are other things unfortunately in the environmental world that are much harder to mm. actually address so i think it's actually just relief that that actually the whole world is realizing and it's not just a uk thing by the way this is a worldwide phenomenon it's extraordinary one of my roles is working for the United Nations well, you're now. You're a patron of the wilderness, aren't patron you? Patron of the wilderness, <laughs> which I'm very proud of, actually. Yeah. So uh, I, I started working for them last year. And, and as United Nations patron of the wilderness, my, one of my roles is just to share the beauty of the world mm. and to go to schools all over the planet. So I go to speak at schools in Kenya and in the Philippines and in Laos and share my own experiences mm. and, and hopefully with a positive spist, empowering people. That's kind of the word that I like to use. I think so many people have felt unempowered mm. partly because we're not given the options and lots of your listeners may be thinking yeah i, I want to use less single-use plastics but yeah. going to a supermarket what, what can you yeah. do there's yeah. there is no alternative and, and actually one of the charities i've been working with is called the plastic planet and and we i've actually been to talk to government ministers about it we're trying to get supermarkets mm. to offer plastic free aisles so yeah. if you're vegan or you're vegetarian or you're gluten-free you 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 are so you're catered to you can go into the supermarket and you can buy any of those yeah, products yeah. Um, but if you want to be plastic free it's almost impossible yeah. to buy any supermarket produce that isn't wrapped in single use plastic and then if you have to go and if you want to source that it tends to be more expensive you know, it's, like. it's more expensive and, it, and it's very complicated to do that mm. um, so do you, do you think that the genuinely is hope. I know you seem to be a very optimistic person. Do you think that with all what we've done in the past 100 years, say, do you think that there is light at the end of the tunnel? Do you reckon we are slowly starting to, as a world, kind of embrace, you know, plastic-free societies, recycling stuff? Do you, do you see a, you know, a positive outlook? I do. I'm, listen, I am an optimist, I have yeah. to admit, but I do, I genuinely, I think the younger generation are the ones who are going to inherit this planet and they're growing up in a lifestyle and schooling system where it's it's they're just taught that turning off the light is a natural thing mm. that you would do when you leave the room and you just turn the tap on to fill your uh, your uh, glass rather than letting it running mm. um, and you recycle and yeah. you try to be sensible about car journeys um, yeah. etc so I think it's I do think I, th I think the world is um, I, I think our environmental problems are solvable mm. i think we've still got a big hurdle um, uphill struggle but i do i'm an optimist and and i, th I think things will be good mm. um slightly uh controversial you don't have to answer answer really but um i'm vegetarian have been for a couple of years uh and a couple of years ago the un kind of published something that uh, admitted that livestock so like cattle rearing is like the biggest contributor or one of the biggest to greenhouse gas emissions with that in mind have you ever considered kind of doing that vegetarianism thing or is that one of your kind of guilty things? no it's, uh, listen I'm, I, I'm not vegetarian right now mm. I've 
cut right back on my meat consumption because mm-hmm. meat is the single biggest contributor really to greenhouse gases so you're right. quite you're quite right and it's not it's actually not just greenhouse gases the amount of water that goes into mm. uh, producing the feed for the animals it's it's extraordinary and i don't think a lot of people realize that mm. and if you you need to go back to the 50s when meat was something that was a special thing that everyone had once yeah. a week so we, we in mm. the fogel household already have meat free days um mm. and and we've cut our meat consumption i'd say by about 60 or 70 percent and my son actually who's eight he is already meat free Mm. he hasn't gone full vegetarian Mm. um but i have said to him if he goes vegetarian that i'll go vegetarian right which is quite hard actually because as you'll have seen in my series new lives in the wild there's a lot of weird things that you have to eat and and it it would impact on that but actually interesting with, with everest i'm actually um climbing with uh, the Olympic cyclist Victoria Pendleton who's vegan and uh, and to make our eating life easier I'm going to go vegan for the climb so actually I'll be doing Everest on a vegan diet and if Mm. that doesn't if if that doesn't (laughs) doesn't change if that doesn't change my eating habits I don't know what will but I'm a a keen advocate of Mm. um, pushing um, a more sensible diet for everyone because I think um, I think we're exploiting too many of our um too many things on this planet, whether it be water, meat, um, uh, or, or any other of the, the things that we consume. Mm, wow. Uh, I think we've covered some really cool areas there. And I think the last question that I'd like to ask, uh, end on, and on something a bit funny, is uh, can you cr- try and persuade me in a sentence why Labrador is the dog that I should get for my first breed? I mean, that is the best question we could possibly <laughs> Okay, A Labrador. You just have to imagine now these beautiful eyes just <laughs> staring up at you from this what i describe as a perfect face because they're quite symmetrical mm. i quite like symmetry in in dogs they're loyal mm-hmm. they are friendly they're optimistic yeah. they're always happy a labrador is always smiling <laughs> so when you come back from a, a, a tough day and 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 you you know you're you're, you're feeling uh, a bit down mm. you open the door and you have this dog that basically is treating you like you've been away for a hundred years <laughs> and it, it it licks you and it loves you and no matter what it will always kind of be by your side i think you know what what more can i say <laughs> so <Sold? laughs> thank you very much ben thanks for coming on to the podcast it's been great my pleasure Cheers. thanks thank james Thanks very much for listening to that episode with Ben Fogel. Absolutely crazy. I, I'm kind of thinking, even though the vamps is good, I might just sort of leave and take a backpack with, with Joe and go around South America. <laughs> uh, I, I promised uh, last time with Brad that we'd read out some tweets and realise that we, we're not very good at kind of doing this interaction thing. So I've got a couple of tweets here I'm just going to read out. Uh, Dookie at Low Beneath said to, to Brad and I that they mentioned the podcast in the college assignment. So... That's really cool. I think it's great uh, with with these podcasts if you're opening kind of a wider discussion with your friends and stuff at school. So anything like that, please do let us know. Uh, I've also got one from Bethany Evanson, which is at Bradley Simp 1995. I wonder which is your favorite member of them. Uh, they sent the tweet at how little we know saying, listening over the podcasts, I realize my world doesn't have to revolve around my phone. I realize now, age 15, that we don't all need to follow the trends or know the latest fashion. We should just be us and enjoy being young. And I think that's a really, really cool kind of thing to say there, especially after just having Ben on. I'm sure, Bethany, that you're going to like this episode. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. I think if there's one thing that I personally would like to achieve with the podcast, it's making people recognize that there's slightly more to life than just the screen at the end of your fingertips. So thank you for that. And the last one uh, is from... (laughs) 
Snow White 2.0. What was wrong with the first Snow White? I like, and there's actually some some glasses, the emoji of some champagne glasses clinking afterwards. So I think you're a bit crazy. Uh, they say, finally got time to listen to that last podcast, the one with Megan. Thanks for that. I'm learning something new with every episode and you're doing a great job. Thank you very much, Snow White 2.0. Uh, <laughs> that, that's kind of hopefully the aim that with each podcast uh, episode, Brad and I get slightly more able at answering and if you would like to send us a tweet then please do send us a tweet at how little we know i'll try my best to read some out next time and also just wanted to say that because brad is still recovering he's absolutely fine he will be back he's been doing live streams and instagram and stuff so you can see for yourself he's all right uh, but because he's still in kind of repair and recovering we're going to postpone the podcast for a little bit um i mean i would obviously love to carry on doing these but we, I, I feel a bit sort of empty without Brad next to me. So we're going to reconvene, hopefully ASAP. We might be doing one in LA when we're going there uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. I'll try my best to, to make that happen. But obviously, it'll be only if Brad is okay and up for it. So a massive thank you for listening. Please do send us a tweet. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Make sure that you follow Ben Fogel or even just search on your on your TV catch-up, Ben Fogel. He's got some great series out there that even though a couple of them are like, you know, eight years old, that, that A Plastic Ocean one, that's still so relevant now. Really interesting. And I think we can all learn something from Ben. So a massive thank you for listening. I'll see you very soon. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.